0: and welcome to The Sober Witch Podcast. I'm Molly Mora, The Sober Witch. And today I'll be talking a little bit about a subject that is still very much a work in progress in my own life. And that subject is money. So with in bulk, just passing, and with all the residual energies of that Sabbath, like preparation, renewal, subtracting that, which no longer serves us and so that we can bring in those things that do, with all that kind of energy still hanging around, it makes it for a a really great time to just reassess our finances. Now, I gotta say that for the majority of my life, I have been one of those people who find talk of money and markets and the economy just extremely disinteresting, downright boring even, but I have found that if I wanna change my relationship with money, then I might want to change my my overall money mindset uh that way money goes from being something that i feel is this incessant pressure that's being lorded over me at every turn to instead being kind of an empowerment tool for myself uh, in addition to just the normal economic issues that everybody especially right now is having with the inflation and the rising prices of flipping everything those of us in recovery might have even more issues on top of all the normal ones right so we may have accrued more debt than others maybe less financially literate may have made even more detrimental financial decisions in our addiction um, that are still affecting us even now in recovery uh, we and we may have lower credit scores because of all that the list goes on and on and on but again all those things are not exclusive to just those of us in recovery but in today's main section i'll go over some basic steps that have helped me improve my relationship with money and my financial wellness in general that I hope will be beneficial to you. And then for our ritual, I'll be sharing a cost-saving, dopamine-boosting, regifting ritual that I created for myself to kind of rein in some of my spending and as well as to just kind of bring a, a renewed appreciation for the things that I already own. So before we jump in, I want to start by saying that, especially in early recovery, I think it's a good idea to, and I know this is going to sound kind of bad, but I think it's a good idea to be a little selfish with our money. Typically when we're in early recovery, our finances are in need of just just as much recovery and stabilization as our bodies and minds are, right? So during the stabilization period, it's a good idea to kind of refrain from lending out money. If we choose to lend out money, it should only be money that we won't miss since there's always that possibility that we will not be paid back. So good rule of thumb is if we're gonna miss it, we ought not lend it. I mention this because Part of getting sober is bringing back all the things that actually are our responsibility. That's why in a lot of the 12 step programs, they say it's a selfish program, we have to be selfish for a little bit because for so long, our boundaries weren't great, right? So And that kind of allowed us to play the blame game of misplacing blame on others, which allowed us to stay in our addiction for longer oftentimes. But part of getting sober is putting an end to the blame game and being able to define where other people end and we begin. It is taking responsibility for ourselves and our lives, which includes our finances. Let's get into it though. So our very first step towards financial wellness is to figure out what our money mindset is what our money personality is there's a lot of ways we can do this there's a lot of online resources but the main point of it really is to see where our relationship with money is to see those habits that we have so one of the ways that we can do this is to look at the five most common money personalities to see which one dominates keep in mind You'll probably be able to identify with a few of these, but the goal is to pinpoint your dominant one. Now the five main money personalities are, one, big spenders, two, savers, three, debtors, four, shoppers, and five, investors. So with the very first one, big spenders, these are the folks that love nice cars, brand name clothing, and they always want to get the newest upgrades. Their spending is very much guided by a mentality of kind of keeping up with the Joneses and their purchases are kind of like a status symbol. So obviously they're very comfortable spending money and they don't fear being in debt, which means they are often risk averse. And now risk aversion can actually be an asset to a certain extent if it's directed towards wise investing habits. So, if you identify as being the big spender, there are two obvious changes you can make to benefit your money situation. However, those changes are easier said than done. Uh, the first one is shop less, uh, two is to save or invest a little more. Again, if that mindset of not being too terribly risk adverse is directed towards wise investments, the payoff could be potentially huge. I mean, Mind you, the loss could also be potentially huge as well because high risk investments are called high risk for a reason, but if you have that mindset where you're able to feel comfortable with that kind of risk, the rewards could be great. Now for, for me, I am definitely uh, risk averse. So for those of you who aren't and wanna look into high, high risk investments, it might behoove, well, and let me say too that you're, you feel like your money situation can handle the potential loss too but it might behoove you to get with a financial advisor to find out more information on those those kind of high-risk investments Now, the second money personality is the opposite of big spenders. These are the savers. So with savers, they turn off the lights when leaving the room, they close the refrigerator door quickly so that none of that cold air escapes. Uh, They're much more risk averse than the big spender. So when savers invest, they're more likely to go like the low risk, low return route, uh, all of which I can identify with. But savers also shop only when necessary. So that's not me at all. And they rarely make purchases with credit cards. They generally have no debt and they might be viewed as being pretty frugal. But if you identify as a saver, there's one major change that can maybe benefit your money situation that is to use money wisely in moderation. Sometimes a saver who is too conservative may be missing out on high high return investments and two sometimes savers buy cheaper products thinking that they're saving money but then end up buying that item over and over and over again where they could have just actually saved money in the long term had they just bought the higher end better made product in the first place and that's that's definitely a lesson that i'm learning right now the third money personality is debtors so with debtors they aren't trying to make a statement per se with their spending and they don't really derive a great deal of emotional satisfaction from it. They're just kind of apathetic about the whole thing. They don't spend a ton of time thinking about money. They don't really track what they spend their money on or where they spend it. And all of that leads to them typically spending more than what they earn, which causes them to be deeply in debt in one way or another. So I can say that for in my past, my dominant money personality was probably this one. Actually, no, he was definitely it was definitely a debtor. Um, but if you identify as a debtor, the changes you might consider would be evaluating and educating yourself on debt and credit limits, as well as starting a savings plan, even better, if you can have a high yield savings account, that actually earns you money over time, instead of it just sitting there doing nothing in a bank account. Because whenever we can ethically and wisely make our money work for us, we should do it. Fourth money personality are the shoppers. Shoppers often develop, whereas the the debtor doesn't get any great emotional satisfaction. The shopper definitely has a great emotional satisfaction from spending money, even if it's to buy just items they really don't need. They may be aware of their urge to spend and may be concerned about it because they're creating debt from it, but they still struggle, struggle to kind of rein it in. They, they are bargain hunters and they're happy when they find those bargains, but sometimes those deals and those sales are used by the shopper as kind of a justification for unnecessary spending and for breaking their their budgets, their weekly or monthly budgets. So like I said, my dominant personality used to be the debtor when I was in active addiction. But then when I got sober, my mentality over time switched more to that of the shopper. And you know, it's not too surprising actually that that should occur because the the brain's dopamine response is being stimulated in much the same way for the addict and the shopper, but but we'll get into that more later. If you're like me and you identify as having the shopper money personality, there's a couple changes we can make that can help us out. So number one, we want to establish a weekly or monthly budget and we actually should stick to it and not spend any money we don't actually have. Secondly, with credit cards, we want to ensure that our credit cards are used for designated purposes, right? And that the balance is paid off every month. (laughs) Having I mean, having a credit card, just for gas and paying it off every month does wonders for our credit score. But if we get off track, which I am definitely guilty of, and start using that card for other things other than major emergencies, then we're getting into dangerous territory. So yeah, sticking to a budget and responsible credit card usage can help us shoppers immensely. The fifth and final money personality is the one I wish I had, and the one that I am striving to become, and that is the investor. Investors are consciously aware of money and of their money situation. They understand their financial situations and they strive to make their money work for them. Their actions are driven by careful decision making and their investments reflect the need to take a certain amount of reasonable risk. So for those of you who identify as investors, yay, no change is really necessary for y'all, um, just keep up the good work and stay mindful of long-term goals and opportunities. So that is our first step, figuring out what our money personality or mindset is. The second step for our overall, overall financial wellness is getting our money situation as it is out on the table and getting super honest with ourselves about where we are. Getting onto a site like uh, creditkarma.com or a similar site that will not affect our credit score is a good way to get the lay of the land since it shows us all our debts like mortgages, school loans, credit card debt, car loans, all that stuff all in one spot. You can also go to annualcreditreport.com to get our credit reports directly from each of the three major credit bureaus. Just be aware how often you do this as there is like a set number of times that you can access these reports before it starts negatively impacting your score. But whatever website we choose to use, please be aware of you know what, what website you're going to, and making sure triple ensuring that it's legit before you enter your personal information. We can also get onto our mobile bank apps, gather up our bank statements, bills, all that stuff, so that we're able to get as full a picture of all the money that is coming in and all the money that is going out. All this information helps us move on to the third step towards financial wellness, which is creating a budget. Now I'm old school and I still like to use a piece of paper for creating my monthly budget, but there are tons of awesome budgeting apps that you can download and have right on your phone. We can make budgeting planning as broad or as detailed as we want. The aim is just to figure out what our total money income is minus our total expected monthly expenses like rent, mortgage, utilities, all that which leaves us with our total excess money that we can choose to either spend or save. But what if we don't have any excess money at the end of the month? Well, that's when we need to have a look at our budget and find those expenses that we can cut or at the very least reduce. We have to determine what our priorities are, right? And even sometimes, within the same category, we have to look at the same category and determine what the priority is on a budget. Expenses are usually separated by categories like uh, housing, food, transportation. I added the additional category of spiritual development on my budget and had to set priorities just within that one category. So two of the major expenses within that category initially, were a witchy subscription box that was delivered to my house every month. And then the second one was a monthly reoccurring coven fee for the coven that I'm part of. For like, uh, you know, there it, it, being a part of a coven can, you know, there's expenses there, there's supplies that we have to buy and all that. Anyway, uh, while it was nice to have that monthly subscription box. And i'll talk more a little bit about that uh during the ritual the coven fees obviously took precedence over it i drive much more value out of developing as a witch through participating in that coven than just receiving more witchy accoutrements that i honestly don't use Often enough to really justify the expense. So, in seeing my priorities just within that one category, I was able to determine ah, uh, the witchy subscription box had to go. <laughs> besides cutting out expenses by looking at our priorities we can also compare rates online for things like utilities to see if we can find a better deal usually this is actually a good idea to do m- maybe once a year just to see m- ensure that there's no other better deals out there we can look at our phones and see what apps we actually don't use that often and end those subscriptions we can cut down on the streaming services, which I know is hard because man, there's always some new show that is always streaming on another service that I do not have. But sometimes that means, you know, I just have to end one of the streaming services that I do have for a time, getting the other one temporarily, watching the thing, and then switching back. The last tip that we can do to help reduce our monthly costs is to get onto our mobile banking apps and look at those reoccurring charges to see what it is exactly we're paying for every month because sometimes we might find that we're paying for stuff that we forgot we, we even had in the first place. Once we have all that figured out, where we're currently are financially and we've created our budget that allows us to have at least a little excess money. At the end of each month, we move on to the fourth step towards financial wellness, which is determining where we want to be and not just with our finances, but with life. And this is more than just like, I want to be rich or I want to be content to not have to worry about money. It's best to get specific you know and to really think about our future and where, where we see ourselves in the future and it just like with any goal setting we can make our big picture goal and work backwards from that creating all the little practical goals so say my my big picture goal which it is is i want my husband and i to move to a remote riverfront cabin in arkansas by the time i'm 50. so i've, I've defined my big picture goal i break it down Riverfront property, it's expensive. I have about 12 years before I'm 50. So what can I do between the ages of 38 and 50 to make that goal happen? So this is where step five comes in. And that's where we create all those little goals that we can do right now to begin making our way towards our big future goal. So, some of the little goals that I can do right now for my particular situation to start heading in the direction of hopefully achieving my big major future goal would be paying off my bad debt, staying on top of monthly payments for my good debt, keeping my credit score high, improving and maintaining my current home so that its value increases. So, when it's time to sell, we're not, you know, we're getting as much as we can and then saving more and spending less and so on and so forth. And of course, for each of those goals, there's gonna be sub goals and hopefully all of them will be following a SMART format where they're specific, they're measurable, they're attainable, realistic and time oriented. But we'll speak more on SMART goals in another, another episode. But the point is to make plans for how to act right now in the present so that we can deal with our current situation, as it truly is, and in a way that will allow us to achieve our future goals. One of the right now things that has been incredibly beneficial to me is learning about good versus bad debt, like being able to distinguish the two types of debt has allowed me to set up priorities for paying off my debt. So if I get some unexpected extra income, which doesn't happen as often as I would like. Um, Like say I I get my tax return or a bonus at work, I know exactly where that unexpected extra money needs to go uh, towards paying off my bad debt as quickly as possible. So good debt are things like mortgages or student loans that we take out to enhance our job skills. And I know credit cards get a bad rep, but again, they can do wonders for our credit score if we use them lightly. And that's, that's the main thing is we have to use them lightly and again, for their designated purposes. And lightly usually means less than 30% of our available credit on any credit card at any time. Uh, but for good debt, we just make our monthly payments every month and continue living. Huzzah. Bad debt, though, would be things like amassing credit card debt uh, on one-time purchases, using credit cards or loans with high interest rates, which can include things like payday loans, and just a quick side note here about payday loans do not do payday loans if you can help it please do not their interest rates are insane there's a great ted talk called disrupting the payday lending industry about the predatory nature of payday uh the payday loan industry and it's just despicable what those places do to people but getting back on track the aim with good versus bad debt is to pay off bad debt as quickly as possible and to just keep on top of our monthly payments towards our good debt. Another thing that is helping me right now to hopefully achieve my big picture future goal is using something called marginal analysis to help reduce my spending, especially online. So basically marginal analysis, helps us to determine if what we're willing to spend on an item, which is the marginal benefit, exceeds the actual monetary cost of the item. If it does, and the actual price is less than our marginal benefit, again, which is what we're willing to pay, then the action is said to be logical. If it doesn't, and the actual cost is greater than our marginal benefit, again, what we're willing to pay, then the action is illogical. So say I'm on Amazon, and i see a tarot deck that peaks my interest T- tarot decks are usually my my uh unnecessary uh spending impulse spending so i see a tarot deck that peaks my interest and i click on it but before i even scroll down to see the actual price of the tarot deck i ask myself how much am i willing to pay for this how many days of use will i get out of it and so I come up with a number and I say 11 $11 is how much I'm willing to spend on this tarot deck. And that is my marginal benefit. So at that time, once I got that number in my head, I scroll down to see the actual Amazon price and say the actual Amazon price is $12, $13. I got to pass up that buy now button. If it's lower, if it's $11 or lower, I can buy now, maybe, <laughs> depending on my budget last step is step six and that's looking at how we can invest in ourselves there are so many ways we can do this going to treatment is one if if we need that going back to school or getting a certification to enhance our job skills is another looking at what we do for a living to see if our employment is serving us just as well as we serve it are we being fairly compensated for the work that we do on a daily basis. And a good resource for answering that is a, a Glassdoor, is a one place, another is Occupational Handbook no, Occupational Outlook Handbook on the Bureau of Labor Statistics website. Uh, We can actually view similar job compensations by state, compare job requirements and benefits, as well as look at the projected job outlook for different careers. It's actually a really cool website. Investing in ourselves means spending time and money on taking care of ourselves truly taking care of ourselves which unfortunately for me means spending quite a bit of money and time on my teeth for root canals and fillings which there will be a whole episode coming up devoted to staying sober while dealing with dental pain because man i've been going through it lately But that's what taking true care of ourselves is. It's dealing with the shit we don't particularly wanna deal with, but know that we should. Things like routine dental visits or going to those follow-up doctor visits that we might have some fear around. It's the not so fun stuff that costs some money, energy, and time right now, but that if we keep putting it off, it just gets worse and worse and worse. And the cost to our bodies, our finances, and our time just continues to go up and up. So just to reiterate the financial steps towards wellness, step one, identify our money personality type or at the very least identify our relationship with money so we can figure out those habits that are keeping us from financial wellness. Step two, get super honest about our finances and where we are right now. Step three, create a weekly or monthly budget step four create a major future goal where we figure out where we want to be in the future not just financially but in life step five use our major future goal as our guide in creating all those little goals that we can begin doing right now to lead us towards our major future goal and step six invest in ourselves all right right on now on to the ritual In the previous segment, I mentioned that my dominant money personality is the shopper, which again, isn't that surprising for someone with a history of addiction as it calls on much the same dopamine response as drugs and alcohol use. So things like Amazon and witchy subscription boxes, I'll not name any names, are fantastic at stimulating that dopamine response. I'm going to use witchy subscription boxes as an example, but again, I love them. They're awesome. Um, but I just don't do like the, the witchy subscription boxes. Sometimes I'll go to the, the website and buy single items, but not the reoccurring subscriptions anymore. For those of you who have had that experience of witchy subscription boxes they contained beautiful items things like incense and oils ritual salts crystals books statues tarot and oracle decks things like that i subscribed to them i loved them however i didn't really use the items enough to warrant the price of the box so every month i would receive an email from the witchy subscription box company, try not to use names. So it's kind of awkward. But whatever that that's witchy subscription box company was, they would send me an email saying, your package is on its way. Bam, I experienced anticipation, which meant bam, dopamine release, right? Just like a drug or a drink. There's that anxiety that that gleeful feeling of anticipation. It's like an odd, mildly pleasant yearning or longing. And it's even better though, because it's a mystery box. And I don't know what's going to be in it. So I can imagine what might be in it. Even more anticipation, thus, even more dopamine. And then it arrives. And there's always that tinge of disappointment. The anticipation of the thing ends up being better than the arrival of the actual thing, which is so often the case, I think, with our online purchases, not all the time, but I think it's, well, I'll say for me, I think it's safe to say the majority of the time, especially with impulse buys, the anticipation is actually better than the, uh, than the actual arrival of the thing. After realizing though, What was happening with those with that witchy subscription box and even some of my amazon impulse buys i came up with this ritual for myself to kind of trick myself into getting that same dopamine rush but at a much lower cost and i call it the dopamine boosting regifting ritual so the things that are needed for this ritual are an awareness of what your impulse buys are and of course it's going to be different for everybody for me, my impulse buys tend towards books, uh, tarot and Oracle decks, like I've already mentioned, stones and minerals, teas and coffees, things like that. Uh, A selection of those items that you already own, and a gift bag and tissue paper, a box, anything that you can pack your items into and make it look appealing and pretty. And again, your items will be very specific to you. So typically, we can look at our collections of things to determine what our impulse buys might be. It could be clothing, books, comic books, video games, teas, whatever. And again, these are all things we already own, so we're not spending any money that we haven't already spent. So for this month, my dopamine regifting Uh, gift bag contains the Oracle deck, the Woodland Wardens, which is, oh, it's so beautiful. It's such a beautiful deck that, but I didn't really get to connect with it when I first received it. Like I think it was two years ago now. Um, So there's that Oracle deck. There's a silk scarf that I just had hanging in my office closet that was doing nothing. So I just wrapped that around the Oracle deck in my Gift bag. Uh, there's a beautiful green beeswax candle, some rosemary incense, a beautiful big green opal stone. Whatever your items are, place them in your gift bag or box, and really make an effort to make the packaging aesthetically ap- appealing to yourself because this is a, a gift to you. So make it beautiful and meaning for you, meaningful for you. Set a future date where you can mindfully open your gift. I do this ritual probably every two or three months or so because after two months, I have typically forgotten what I put in the bag in the first place. So it actually is kind of a a surprise. If you're able to put your gift in a place where you will see it from time to time, this will really help ignite that feeling of anticipation, which means the dopamine response will get to kick in that way once your designated day to open your gift arrives if you cast circle do uh, do your circle casting call in the elements and deity set that uh, ritual space for yourself however that is however that feels right for you and then open your gift very mindfully and carefully and spend time with each item connecting with it in a way that perhaps you didn't initially like I I didn't do that with my Oracle deck or if you haven't had that connection in a while you can even open your gift over a series of days if you'd like taking only one item out a day to ensure proper connection and appreciation for that item and of course as always ensure to bid farewell to deity and the elements in close circle if if you casted one to begin with but i, I do love this rich ritual though because it helps me it does help me to decrease my spending but still get a little bit of a dopamine rush because whenever i see my little gift i have that that little dopamine release you know that little feeling of anticipation plus it renews my appreciation for those items which is which is always good to have so i have gratitude and appreciation for the things that we already own but as always if you have any questions concerns or suggestions please do message me at the sober witch podcast on instagram or at mollythesoberwitch at gmail.com. And as always, keep your sobriety strong and your witchcraft powerful.